Welcome to Higher Calling Wildlife with award-winning wildlife journalist Chester Moore. From deep investigations to interviews with top experts, Higher Calling Wildlife is the place to get informed and inspired about all things wildlife. Well, I'm excited to be able to talk about um, the hog toxicant toxin poisoning issue, something that has been on the radar for a number of years as there's been different trials, different things that have received patents and different experiments going on. And um, on the line right now, we have Dr. John Tomachek with the AgriLife Extension Service in the Department of Range and Wildlife and Fisheries Management. Uh, thanks for taking some time to talk about a complicated wildlife issue. Yep. No, not a problem. Glad to be here. All right. The first time that I remember, um, you know, the idea of using a toxicant for hogs coming into radar recently was when I think Kaput came on a few years back and there was a, a warfarin-based um, uh, offering that was eventually shelved. Can you tell a little bit about that before we get going on the new thing? Uh, yeah. So so a couple of things, you know, both the, the warfarin-based pig toxicant uh, mm -hmm. as a concept has been around for a long time. Australia yeah. used one mm -hmm. years ago. Um, as well as the sodium nitrite based toxicant, which is currently being used in Australia and New Zealand. You know, that one was in development for a long time as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Kaput product is a warfarin based toxicant, and that was what we worked with in this trial. Mm -hmm. And I think most people who have barns and stuff are probably somewhat familiar with warfarin because it's often used for like rats and mice. Yeah, so warfarin is a, is a very old pesticide. It was introduced mm -hmm. in the 1940s for rodents of, of all kinds, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's kind of that first generation of anticoagulant pesticide. Well, the hog story itself is just fascinating to me because I'm 49 and growing up here in southeast Texas, I never saw a feral hog in person. And I hunted my whole life until I was like 25. Um, they were kind of relegated to creek and river bottoms, mainly certain areas, and people would see them. But in, in sometime in the late 90s, it was like there was this gigantic explosion of hogs everywhere. And um, I've heard, you know, population estimates of Texas everywhere from like a million and a half, which is way too low, to about five million. And I think the number I hear currently is around three. But in terms of before we go deeper into like the toxin issue, just in the development of hogs, I mean, do you have any idea? How many hogs on the range uh, in a certain area you'd have to, you know, take out every year to stop population growth? So there's been some work done on that in times past. And, mm -hmm. and like everything in biology, the answer is it depends. Much of it, it depends on how many pigs you're starting with. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly when you get down to the last few pigs in an area, although there's not very many, it takes quite a lot of effort to get rid of the last ones. That's one of the pervasive issues of getting rid of pigs. But when it comes to how many you've got to kill on the landscape every year to stop growth, there's a number that's often bannered around, which is, you know, 70 percent or 66 percent. And, and that one is, to be honest with you, kind of a, a widely propagated myth that doesn't have a lot of basis in, in good math. Okay. So there is a there is a number that you have to remove, but it's much less than that. And I always like to emphasize to people that the cost of doing nothing is far worse. So folks say, well, you know. If it was 30% or if it was 70%, I still can't kill that many pigs. So mm -hmm. why bother? And mm -hmm. the answer to that is simply the cost of doing nothing is that you let that reproduction continue uninhibited. The damages go up, the problem grows. So I tell everybody, 
I don't care who you are. If you're doing the best you can do with pig management, you're still doing better than nothing. Yeah. It's interesting here on having hunted, you know, hunting clubs in Southeast Texas my whole life that you'll have three or four years of just like hog inundation. And then for like two years, no one even sees one on a game camera. It's like they just picked up and left somewhere. So there's definitely some kind of mobility to some hog populations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they are. You know, and, and I would tell people too, places you expect to see them sometimes, you just never see them. Mm-hmm. And, and they're extremely uh, adept at moving for resource availability. So they're mm-hmm. going to move around out there to find where the best food is. And in many ways, they're going to stay tied to water because they don't, don't have an option, right? They yeah. have a, high, a pretty high water requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike some animals that can get by without a whole lot of water, coyotes being one of them. Coyotes need very, very little free water to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting now since our part of the state in particular is having a mega drought. Yep. And um, I was out on my lease, which has a decent amount of water on it, and I didn't see any hog sign. But I'm sure that some guys down the road with a big swamp are probably inundated. But oh, yeah. you know, I just want to you know, really just emphasize the fact that these animals are prolific. They're, they're very hardy. They're mobile. They're a, they're a whole different kind of animal to deal with. And like even managing a native game species like a white-tailed deer, just a whole lot more variability here. And the news release that we're going to be basing this out of came in August 31st. And the headline is Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service study shows toxicant effective tool to reduce feral hog population. So tell us about this particular tool and kind of go into the trials of it. Yeah, sure. So back in 2021, uh, we were asked to conduct a two-year field trial of the warfarin-based toxicant Kaput. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to emphasize, you know, the company that makes it, there are a number of products they make that are called Kaput. And, yeah. and then this is their feral hog uh, bait is what it's called. Okay. And, and so this toxicant is warfarin-based, but it's an extraordinarily low concentration of warfarin. So mm-hmm. it is uh, very much less than what you'll find in commercial rat poisons. You know, it's a tenth of the amount of warfarin that you can go buy off the shelf at Walmart for rats right now. Mm-hmm. And, and the bait matrix or the stuff that's in it essentially is a mixture of attractants, mm-hmm. uh, a, you know, vegetative matter, bone meal, that kind of thing to get pigs interested in it. So what we were really tasked with was getting it out into private applicators hands. So private mm-hmm. people, right. With a pesticide applicators license mm-hmm. on private properties to see if it could make a real difference in the number of pigs on their property or just the damages they experience. Cause as we all know, sometimes you can get rid of a whole lot of pigs and the damages don't seem to change. And sometimes mm-hmm. the damages go away, even though there's still a lot of pigs out there, as you mm-hmm. point out, they can be somewhat unpredictable. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that was what we were tasked with was getting it out there to see what it would do. Mm-hmm. And so we operated all across the state, every eco region from from the mountains in West Texas down to the coastal swamps in your part of the country, high plains, deep south Texas. We were everywhere. And it says 23 sites. So that's 20, pretty extensive. 23 sites. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. we worked on properties that were large enough. We had a reasonable expectation the pigs would not leave that property. Um, and that was just out of courtesy to landowners and neighbors. Right. So you you don't want to be out there field testing a product that's not out for public yet and have a pig wander onto somebody's uh, neighboring property. Sure. Now, the thing I'll point out, which I like to remind everybody with this product, is that with warfarin, um, the the warfarin itself doesn't have any kind of dye or anything in it, but the the product has this blue dye 
-hmm. that when an animal eats it, their, their fat tissue, their adipose tissue mm -hmm. gets dyed bright blue. And if you're, you're my age and, and you're about my age, if you, if you remember the Smurfs from when we were young, for sure, it, it's Smurf blue. I okay. It's not. And you can't miss it. So you can even see this blue dye in the cartilage of the ears, even before you cut a pig open, you can see mm -hmm. a bit of blue. And even in joints, it will end up dyeing the fluid in the joints blue. So long after that animal's dead, the, the bone around the joint is dyed blue. Is the that something that was put in this talk in this particular bait uh, on purpose like that? For that reason, so that somebody yep. could tell something had been poisoned uh, mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. this stuff. And my point is, with it dying the bones even, you know, long after that animal has been scavenged, it will still mm -hmm. be blue. Hmm. Uh, the thing I would point out, though, is this dye has been around forever. If you go buy rat poison at Walmart and it's that kind of tealish blue color, yeah. same, same dye. The dye was developed many years ago for a project in California where there were some folks that were uh, not doing very well that were scavenging some rodents that were being poisoned. And it mm. was with a totally different chemical, much more harmful. And the concern was that somebody would eat one of those and get sick. So. Mm -hmm. The dye is just a, you know, safety measure. Um, but but we put this product out all across the state throughout the year and pretty universally, if folks followed the instructions and best practices for application, where they were diligent at keeping that feeder full, diligent at getting the pigs trained to using it, they had pretty good success. Uh, we had a, several properties that were very diligent, very careful with their application mm -hmm. that as far as we could tell, either killed all the pigs on their property or they significantly reduced numbers to the point where the damages were noticeably different. The pigs they were encountering on the property were noticeably different. Now on this, I want to get people's uh, focus here on how the bait is dispersed. Is this, mm -hmm. is this something you put in a corn feeder or some kind of specific or a protein feeder or something that. Uh, great question. So, mm -hmm. so the product is in it, and on the, the label from the EPA, the registration, mm -hmm. it specifies mm -hmm. there are two feeder options. Okay. Uh, one is a guillotine style feeder that's made out of pretty heavy steel. And the other is a modified commercial pig feeder. So if you ever had show pigs or domestic swine, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's got a flip lid. Now that one's modified with a heavy steel bar to keep the door closed. And the trick there was to make sure that nothing but pigs could get into it. Mm -hmm. And remember the manufacturer of this product worked on this for many years in their mm -hmm. own R and D. So you have to put it out in this particular feeder. Now, one thing that we did learn in this trial, which won't surprise anybody, the, the application instructions specify that you need to open the, the feeder up, fill it with just corn to get pigs used to using it. Mm -hmm. And then once they're used to using it, you close it and then they will open it and eat out of it. Okay. And that is true. But in fact, what we needed was to close the, the opening just a little bit more than completely open to get it to where the pigs could see corn, but they had to stick their head in and lift the door just a little bit to get to that bait. And that trained mm -hmm. them pretty quick. Mm -hmm. That's going to help if this thing comes to market, it's going to help with, with efficacy and getting pigs trained. But yeah, you had to have something that only pigs could get into. This season is brought to you by BAC Shows. Go to BACshows.com for information on great boat sport RV shows in East Texas and Louisiana. And don't forget, Higher Calling Wildlife is brought to you by Texas Fishing Game. Go to fishgame.com to connect. Thanks for listening to Higher Calling Wildlife. Find us on Facebook at Higher Calling Wildlife. 
at the Chester Moore on Instagram and our blog at HigherCalling.net. To contact Chester, email Chester at ChesterMoore.com.